Elon Musk has hit the headlines once again with the announcement that his company Neuralink has implanted the first brain chip into a human being. The implant operation has proven successful, with Elon Musk releasing a statement that promises neuron spike detection has been found in the patient's brain. The implantation is part of long-term research into motor neuron disease and the implant will allow patients to move parts of their body. Georgia Hayway asked Dr. Sarah Helliwell from Curtin University and the Parent Institute, how could a small chip in someone's brain control their body movements? Yeah, it really sounds like science fiction, right? But it's technology that has been around for quite some time now. Actually, this isn't the first time that chip like this has been implanted in the brain. The first one was about 20 years ago, um, but this is definitely the most sophisticated version to date. So the way it works is that it's implanted in a part of your brain called the motor cortex. And um, what we've found over a long history of research is that if you think about doing a specific movement, like stretching your arm out and reaching for a cup, just thinking about that activates the part of the brain that's responsible for that movement, which is why it's really great for people who have lost movement in their body, but their brain can still recapitulate the thoughts of the movement so that you can send those signals out into a robotic arm or a computer interface and you can understand the intention of the movement. Right, right. So it's kind of like the brain is still working and you're just trying to get that to sort of connect back up to that body part with technology. Yeah, exactly right. So it's um, we think it'll be really revolutionary for people who have lost the ability to use their limbs. So this is people with spinal cord injuries, particularly quadriplegic, so people who can't move their arms or their legs, and people who have things like um, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, which have gradual decrease in motor function as well. So we can still pick up the signals from the brain because the brain is working fine and we can use that to do a motion for them or to think about the action that they want to do. That's, that sounds pretty incredible. This uh, Neuralink project needed Food and Drug Administration approval, FDA approval. What kind of conditions have to be met before someone can uh, implant a chip into another person's brain? Yeah, obviously because it's a brain surgery, it needs really, really stringent approval. So it takes years to get this kind of approval. And in fact, they've been trying for several years now and just got approval for Neuralink last year. Um, So they need to make sure um, through kind of rigorous experiments that implanting the chip is going to be safe, um, that it won't have any side effects, um, and that it can be done under the right conditions, um, that it is ethical, um, there's a need for it, um, that it could genuinely help people. So there's a whole lot of different categories that they have to satisfy, and then they need to collect a lot of data um, over the first people. So they're doing a trial at the moment with Neuralink, um, and this is the first person of the trial, and they're going to follow them, I think, for about six years to make sure that everything works okay, um, that the person doesn't have any what we call adverse effects or any side effects, nothing goes wrong from the implant, um, and they have to report all that information in really high detail back to the FDA. Your own work explores concussion and and brain trauma and also a bit of technology. Can you tell us about some of the recent advancements in this area and whether it has anything to do with Neuralink or or brain chips in general? Yes. So um, one of the things we think, as we were saying, for people who've got spinal cord injuries and ALS, 
the brain implants can be really important for them. They could also be really important for people who've had a traumatic brain injury or who have locked-in syndrome. So this is um, not really the mild end or the concussion type of injury, but the really severe injuries. Um, this could help people, um, for example, write an email or a text message where they can think about, I want to write an email to Beth, and they can think about what the content will be, and that can they can be hooked up to the computer and that can really enable them to write that email and send it off. And so it can really have huge effects for communication for a lot of different people. And on the sort of milder end where people have concussions, we can, we think in the future, use these kinds of brain computer interfaces to retrain brain function where, for example, there may be certain parts of the brain where the messages aren't getting through exactly right. So people might have problems with their memory or their attention, their concentration, they might have mood problems. And we think we can use these kinds of technologies to help improve those. Dr. Sarah Helliwell from Curtin University and the Parent Institute speaking there with Georgia Hayway.